you and his little greeting. But what he does is genius. As he writes this letter, and remember, as I said, Paul is a genius. We actually believe that as Paul wrote, the Spirit of God was working through him. So this is actually the word of God. So maybe the Spirit is genius. But as Paul writes, what he does is he sets foundations in place, even in the greeting. So in the first five verses, which would be easy to skip over as a kind of, I'm Paul, we're Galatia, grace and peace. Actually, Paul lays down some foundations that are going to be essential for the letter that's coming. He sets up loads of the main themes in these verses. In particular, he sets up the theme of the gospel. What is the gospel? If you've been around church, right, you hear the gospel being talked about all the time. Gospel this, gospel that. We sing the gospel, gospel songs, gospel this. But sometimes you start thinking, what is the gospel? What does it mean? Well, the word gospel literally means good news. I mean, it's slightly more than that. It means the announcement of good news. It's the declaration. Good news. But what is the good news that's being announced? Well, that's what the book of Galatians is all about. <laughs> what is the good news? And in these five verses, Paul gives us some foundations to work on. So we're just going to work through these five verses. And once we've done that, we're then going to see in verses 6 to 10, he shows what the problem is in Galatia, that they're deserting the gospel. So let's get into this. If you're very new to this, if you've never really studied the Bible before, then this is going to really help you to understand what do we mean by the gospel. Let's just work through it from the beginning. Um, and I'm going to show you four words that I think are foundational that Paul is going to build on in his letter. Have a look with me at the first kind of fact of the gospel. He starts, Paul, an apostle, sent not from man nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ. So he says, the gospel is not a man-made thing. It's come from God, but it's come from Jesus, not something Paul made up. But what is the first fact? I love this. Okay, actually, before you look at it, supposing someone said to you, what is the gospel? What would be your first, what is the first thing you would say, this is the gospel? Well, look what Paul says. Sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul says, the first thing I want you to know about my gospel is it is about Jesus Christ, God his Father, and the fact that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. That immediately tells you that the message that Paul is announcing is a message of victory. It's a message of life from death. Now, interestingly, Paul does not mention the resurrection again in the book of Galatians. This is the only place he mentions it. And yet, he puts it here first up because he says, you have to understand that this thing we're talking about, this announcement of good news, is an announcement of a man who was dead, who is alive again. A man who is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, risen, reigning king. 
It puts Jesus front and center. So the gospel is not about kind of, um, you know, nice ideas or nice music or nice ways to live. It is about Jesus risen from the dead. It's about victory. So when you think about the gospel, if the idea of a victorious Jesus doesn't come to mind, then it may be that our gospel has become too small. But let's push further into this because it really matters this because I think what happens to us, you know when you have a birthday party and you have balloons at your birthday party, this may not have happened to you for a while, and they're so lovely, right? There they are, stuck on the wall. Lovely, bright, shiny balloons. But, you know, like four days later, they just don't look, they sort of shrunk a bit. They look a bit sad, a bit floppy, right? You know what I mean. I wonder sometimes if that's what happens to us with this idea of the gospel. There are moments when we see it and we think, oh, it's so shiny and brilliant and glorious. But actually, as life goes on, it kind of... And it kind of shrivels a bit in our thinking. And it becomes less and less attractive. And Paul wants to say, no, the gospel is not a shriveled little prune of a balloon. The gospel is magnificent. And what he wants to do is take your shriveled balloon and he wants to blow it full. So he says, it's victory. It's Jesus risen from the dead. Okay, so it's about victory. But now look, so um, Paul says, and all the brothers and sisters with me, here's who he's writing to. I'm writing to the churches in Galatia. And he says, this gospel is going to be about grace and peace to you. You're going to experience an extraordinary gift that God will give you through the Father and the Lord Jesus. Here's the second thing. The gospel is about sacrifice. This Lord Jesus Christ What a title, Lord, his authority as God himself, Jesus, the man who came and lived on earth, Christ, the risen, ruling king of the new creation, Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins. Here's what lies at the heart of the gospel. Victory, yes. Sacrifice, yes. You see, before this Lord Jesus rose in victory, he first gave himself on a cross for our sins. That is the language of substitution. He gave himself for our sins. Look, Jesus didn't come to be primarily a teacher. Imagine if there was someone drowning and they're drowning in a pool and you throw them a book on how to swim. Here's a book on how to swim. It won't help them. They don't need a book. They need a rope. They need a savior. They need someone who they can cling on to. And so it is that Jesus came into this world to give himself For our sins. You see, this beautiful world that God has made is a world that is broken and fallen and rebellious. It is a world that is far from God. And Jesus came to give himself for us, to stand in our place. 
But we've got to see this as bigger because it's not just about sacrifice. You see, the trouble with that is we can make it all about me and Jesus and we go, oh, that's nice. He died for me. He died for me. He died for me. Well, actually, no. Look at how it goes on. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. You see, what Jesus was doing as he died on the cross was not simply wiping my slate clean or forgiving me. He was delivering me, us. Victory, sacrifice, deliverance. He delivers us from the present evil age. I wonder what you think of. What do you think of when you hear the word deliverance or rescue? Because if you knew anything about the history of God's people, as soon as you heard the word deliverance, you would think Exodus, Egypt, slavery. You would immediately think of the one, the God, who delivered his people out of Egypt and brought them to freedom. You see, if our gospel is just about Jesus forgiving my sin, then it's too small. Because yes, I am a sinner that needs to be forgiven, but I'm also a slave that needs to be delivered, right? And if you only focus on one of those but not the other, what you end up with is a distorted gospel. And so just like God's people were slaves in Egypt under a power that they could not escape from. So the Bible says that that is the present evil age that we live in. We live in a world that is under slavery. We live in a world where there is darkness. And what Paul is going to show, and this is is going to be, you have to wait for this for the rest of Galatians, because this is really what the whole book of Galatians is about. Paul is going to show us that every single human being that is ever born is in slavery. He's going to show us that there are two ways to be in slavery. You can either be in slavery under the law that you can't obey, or you can be in slavery apart from the law, but under what he calls the elemental spiritual forces. That is powers of sin and wrong that keep us and hold us and cause us to be enslaved. Now look, this isn't popular, right? This isn't isn't the way we think. Most people in London, if you went up to them and said, are you slaves? They go, no, I'm free. But the Bible says, okay, I want you to imagine there's two circles. If If I'd got those hula hoops, I'd have got big hoops and held them up, but you can imagine it. Two hoops, all right? Here is a hoop that is called the present evil age. This is the hoop where we are in slavery. And so what Jesus does is he brings us, look, he brings us from that place of slavery and brings us into the place of freedom. Not a future, right, look, it's not a future thing. It's not like I'll save you, but you have to wait in this hoop until you die, and then you can go to heaven. It's no, right now, I will rescue you from the present evil age so that you can begin to live in a new age, a new creation. It's already started. 
Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. This is why the victory is important. Because Jesus, when he died, he died to the slavery of this world. And he rose to the new creation. And now he says to anyone, I have died for your sins so that I can rescue you from the present evil age and bring you into this new creation. And this is how it all works. You see, you have, we have, I have, all of us have a double problem. We are sinners and we're slaves. We're both guilty and victims. And what we need is to be forgiven and delivered. And that is what the gospel does. That's what Jesus does. He sets us free. And all of this is according to the will of our God and Father. It was all God's plan. Look, sometimes people, ca- sometimes people um, sort of caricature the gospel as, oh, there's this angry God in heaven. Oh, he's really cross because we've done things that are wrong. Naughty us. Oh, but it's okay. Here comes Jesus to save the day. And God smashes Jesus so that we can go free. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God. Creator. Beautiful creator who sees his creation in rebellion, his creation that is both guilty and in slavery. He sees his creation, and it is his will to act. He chooses, he plans, he desires. It is God's will, and so what does God do? God comes in the person of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to take the guilt of our sin as he dies on the cross, and then to deliver us from the slavery of our sin that we might live in freedom. That's what Jesus does. That's why Paul can say he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the prison evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory. You see, the gospel is all about the glory of God. Because ultimately... If it is God who rescues, it's God who saves, it's God who brings new life, then it's God who gets the glory. And we worship him. We worship him. Now look, for some of you sitting here, um, this stuff is really new. I know that. For some of you, this is like, what? If that's you, if you're feeling your brain like, I have no idea what he's talking about, hang on to this one thing. Christ says he can rescue you. Jesus Christ says he can rescue you from slavery for life. Hold on to that. But if this is very familiar and you think, oh, I've heard this all before, I know this stuff. Do you? Or do you believe a shriveled, has your gospel got shriveled over time? Has it lost some of its glory? Because we've shrunk it down. We live in such an individualistic culture where it's all about me and God. Jesus did this for me. Jesus loves me. Jesus died for me. And we've lost sight of the fact that you are part of a bigger story. The gospel is God's great story that you get caught up in.
It's the great story of how God takes his creation, which has been spoiled and broken by our sin, and how he remakes his creation as he brings us out of slavery into relationship with him. It's so big. The gospel is so big. Look, all of that, if you, don't have, if you haven't got all of that, it's okay, because we've got like next 12 weeks to look at Galatians. We're gonna do, this, all of this is in Galatians. We're going to see it over and over again. Slavery to freedom. Guilt of sin forgiven. We're going to see it all. Let's just look at the last bit, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Because what then Paul says in verse 6 is, he doesn't say anything, he doesn't say, look, I thank God for you, aren't you doing well? He says that in most of his letters. Here he just goes, what are you doing? I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. So he starts with these great foundations and immediately he moves on to this subject of desertion. He says, why are you deserting him? Here is this gospel. Victory, sacrifice, deliverance, glory. And you're deserting. Turning away. Rejecting, letting go of being disloyal. And notice that Paul doesn't say you're deserting an idea or a concept. He doesn't say you're deserting some nice thought or some theory or some teaching. He says you're deserting someone. You're deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. God God the Father, the beautiful creator God, has called you to live in this place called grace, this place of deliverance, this place of sacrifice, this place of freedom and glory. He's called you to live here. Come and live in grace. Not because you deserve it, but because he loved you and he gave himself for you. But they're deserting and turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. And Paul says that that is astonishing. It is an astonishing thing that anyone would do that. The only way you could ever do that would be to fail to see the gospel for what it truly is. Because people are coming into this church and are throwing them into confusion and are trying to pervert that gospel. They're changing it. It seems very unlikely that they're coming in and going, oh, Jesus isn't real. He didn't rise from the dead. Forget Jesus. He's all a load of rubbish. It seems much more likely that they're coming into the church and saying, oh, yeah, Jesus is great. Jesus is great. But you need this too. If you're really going to be one of the people of God, then you need to live this way. You need to do these things. In particular, in the Galatian church, we're going to see a lot of this. It's you need to become Jewish. You need to take on the, 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 the laws of Moses. You need to live like that. And Paul says, no, it doesn't work like that. Paul says, this gospel is the story that you must hold on to. 
And I get that at this point, it may feel a little bit like, oh, well, what does that look like for us today? We're going to go for that, right? We're going to see that throughout this letter. We're going to see the ways that we're tempted to do that, the ways that we're tempted to add things, the way that we're tempted to say, no, the people of God are this. The people of God need to do this or act in this way or live like this or look like this. We're going to see all that stuff. And Paul says, no, you hold on to Christ. You just hold on to him. With a single-minded, passionate devotion, you say, this is my Christ. This is my King. And Paul is really very angry in this letter. An anger driven by love. He's, he's angry that anyone would preach another gospel. And so in verse 8 he says, not only is it astonishing, it is also devastating. Look at verse 8. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And then he says it again. Feel the weight of that. This isn't a happy, happy, feel-good letter, is it? Aren't you all lovely? Aren't you all great? Smiley, smiley. Paul says, no. If you turn away from Christ, you're under God's curse. It's a devastating thing. And Paul says this because he loves them. He warns them because he loves them. And notice that Paul says, even if we should change the message, even if an angel should appear and preach a different gospel, don't believe it. The only gospel is the one that has been revealed through Jesus, now preached in these letters through Paul and the other apostles. We'll see why we can trust them next week. But this is the gospel. You don't get to tweak it or tamper with it. You don't get to say, yeah, but we live in a bit more of a modern culture. Can't we tweak it? No, it's God's gospel. You don't change it. Because if you change it, you end up with no gospel at all. So let me, let me just say, and I, I want to say this as really carefully and as clear as I can. Lots of us have people that we like to listen to. Lots of us have preachers that we go, oh, yeah, I really like listening to them. I beg of you, don't believe things just because someone says it. You have to check. You have to think. You have to ask. You have to look. Do you know, this is why churches are not to be led by one elder. Because what can happen when a church is led by one elder or one pastor is that they get some ideas and they add new ideas and they take the church with them and the church kind of all follows them. What we need is a group of people who are all thinking and who are saying, no, that's not right. That's not what it says. And one of the things I love about this church is that there have been a number of occasions when people have come up to me at the end of the service and said, I don't think that's what it means. And sometimes they've been right. Do you not see that's a good thing? Do you not see it's a good thing that you don't accept it just because I say it? You don't put your confidence in your favorite human preacher. You put your confidence in this. So let's be people who study the Bible, who get to know it, who really want to understand this gospel. Look, it's not enough. I know, okay, I know that having a great experience 
It is, is more fun than listening to someone talk for half an hour. I understand that. I understand that singing in a great crowd is more exciting than, than doing detailed Bible study. I understand that. But the trouble with singing in a big crowd is that it will not help you to know whether what you're being told is true. Unless you have really carefully thought and got the gospel clear for yourself. This is why we're not a church that says, oh, don't look at the, look at the Bible. You need to have it open in front of you. We're not a church that says, oh, don't worry about thinking. No, do think. Do question. Let's wrestle with this. I don't claim to be the perfect source of knowledge. I study and I pray and I work as hard as I can to understand. And I read loads of different stuff so I can try and understand as best I can. I don't always get it right. And we need each other to help each other. Because it is devastating to get this wrong. Look, if I get a question wrong in a maths exam, it doesn't really matter. I might not get a very good grade. But if we get the gospel wrong, we will be under God's curse. It's that serious. It really matters. Which means finally, and very lastly, and quickly, and we're finishing, is this will mean people-pleasing. To desert the gospel is largely because of people-pleasing. Paul says, am I now writing to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, the gospel gets distorted when you go with the crowd, right? Because actually, we're going to see in, in this book, the message of Jesus and his cross is hard. It's really hard. And lots of people go, oh, let's make it easier. Let's do this. Let's add this. This feels a bit better. This is great. I can boast about this. And Paul says, you add, if you want to please people, then you give up on being a servant of Christ. Can I be honest with you? There's been times as a preacher where I thought, I don't really want to say that because I know that people won't like it. What do I do in those moments? The Bible calls on me to please Christ, not people. Even if every single person in Globe Church suddenly decided that, that I was preaching the gospel wrong, if I'm being true to the gospel, then it's more important that I please Christ than I please you. That's what it means to be a, a servant of Christ. So let's be careful. We all want to be people. We're all people pleasers by nature. We love it when people approve of us. But we need to be loyal and faithful to the gospel of Jesus. All right. We need to wrap this up. This is just setting up some stuff. We're going to see loads more of this in the coming weeks. But here are the two big things. One, treasure the gospel. I say it all the time. Treasure the gospel. The victory of Jesus in his resurrection. His sacrifice. His deliverance. The glory to God. And then watch out for where we might be tempted to desert him. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave, the Lord I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Our oh, Father, please let us be a church that clings to your gospel. 
Let us be a church that delights in this great story. That you forgive us for our sins through the sacrifice of Jesus. That you deliver us from our slavery through the powerful redemption of Jesus. And all for your glory. Oh, Father, please teach us this gospel. Let this gospel be our story. Let this gospel be our song. And let us live in the freedom that Christ has won. In Jesus' name, amen.